The ghost of N.C. Pole Christmas past. Unsubscribe. <laughs> It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. So it's freezing this week, and Brian M. Lewis pulls up to my house <laughs> with a full Santa outfit on and the top down. It's like 30 degrees out, and I just want to say that's the vibe he's bringing to this podcast, this episode. <laughs> Do you ever see Santa Claus not riding in a convertible sleigh? Yeah. What? Christmas and summertime. You got to get in that state of mind. I wish that it were summertime because I don't like being cold. I'm with you there. So we recorded the podcast on Thursday. Podcast comes out on Fridays. And what happened on Friday? Of course, there was some news. Specifically, Supreme Court rulings rolled out Friday morning afternoonish mm-hmm. afternoonish i believe and there were two major cases that folks were watching one was on the legislative maps and the other was on voter id so what was interesting about this case this is on the legislative maps and if you were there when it happened there was a lot of discussion around the building that on the house side the house democrats quote made a deal on those maps And on the Senate side, the Senate Democrats did not make a deal because they thought that when they they took a chance thinking that when that went to court, those maps would have to be redrawn anyway. Well, when that did go to court, the maps were not redrawn and they had to live with that decision in the 2022 election. Live with it, they are going to have to do going into 23 because the Republicans were able to get a supermajority in that chamber. You'd have to say that the House making a deal may have played into the fact that they were able to keep that supermajority by one vote. So what the Supreme Court ruled in this case was that, hey, the state House maps they're fine. You can continue to use those in future elections if you'd like. But those Senate maps have to be redrawn for future elections in a shock to no one. We have a voter ID decision as well that came out Friday. I'm just going to be honest. I do not understand how many voter ID cases there are. It's a lot. And like what iteration of that we're on. But it seems like we're on number a lot. And so again... The Supreme Court ruled that the voter ID law, the most recent voter ID law, did violate the Constitution, specifically targeting black voters. Senator Phil Berger released a statement after these decisions came out and pretty much promised that we were going to revisit them in 2023 from a legislative standpoint, which of course will likely trigger some lawsuits again. But the bottom line, end of the game, will be that Republicans have control of the Supreme Court and presumably will rule in favor of the General Assembly passing a voter ID, passing new maps. All you have to do is read the dissents by the current minority, Republicans, previewing what they will likely do in 2023. 
Additionally, on Friday, there was some new polling out on the Republican side. Well-known strategist Jim Blaine, he and Ray Martin have a business called The Differentiators, and they're now doing polling kind of to parallel public policy polling. And they ran a poll to kind of look into the future of GOP in North Carolina. Yeah, the poll shows current Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson among Republican primary voters has a 54.8% favorable opinion among those voters. Is this enough to scare off any challengers to Mark Robinson in a primary? And what else is interesting about that is only 8.4% of those polled viewed him unfavorably, which is incredibly low for a politician. There's also some unsubstantiated rumors that came our way this week. The most popular Republican candidate in North Carolina, maybe the most popular statewide candidate, period, Steve Troxler, is being floated as a gubernatorial candidate. He is the current Ag Commissioner, and we know that there's been rumors that he's going to step down, that Senator Brent Jackson is going to step up into that role, or at least run for that office, but... I think Steve Troxler would be a formidable candidate in a general election. We have to go back to those differentiator numbers at 55% approval rating for Mark Robinson. I don't know that Steve Troxler can break through that, but I think he might be in the best position, maybe besides Tom Tillis, to make a run at Robinson. We heard that Ray Starling, who is at the North Carolina Chamber right now, is looking to run for attorney general. Ray Starling used to work for Speaker Tom Tillis back in 2011, 2012, that time period. This is a new name, but we're adding him onto the list. We also heard some news. This came out of the New York Times, and then our friend Danielle Battaglia over at the NNO reported on it this week. There are some rumors that Congressman Patrick McHenry, who used to serve in the General Assembly back in the 2000s, that he is being talked about as a consensus candidate for Speaker of the House in Congress. We all know that Kevin McCarthy, minority leader out in California, of course the Republicans are going into the majority, he is having a very difficult time counting enough votes (laughs) to win that Speaker's seat. You know, that is a floor vote. That is all 435 voting members come in and vote on that position and the magic number is 218 and he seems to be falling about four or five short that would be exciting if congressman McHenry becomes speaker of the house a couple of rumors that are not unsubstantiated they're just announcements and that is state representative Ben Moss announced that he will be running for labor commissioner. So not that he's considering it, that he is going to be running. So last week we reported that John Hardister was thinking about it. Sounded like he was there, but he would make an announcement after the holidays. And then as we were turning on the podcast soundboard, we got news that someone just filed paperwork for lieutenant governor. Hal Weatherman, who used to work for lieutenant governor Dan Forrest, filed his paperwork to run for LG. As we have said on many previous podcasts, that LG's race is going to be 
full of people. Yeah, and you'll be reminded of this once this slate gets pretty full on the LG side, whether on Republican or Democratic side, you will be reminded that Hal Weatherman used to work for Congressman Madison Cawthorn. I believe he was the district director out there. Man, I bet he saw a lot of stuff over the last two years, but congratulations to both Representative Ben Moss and Hal Weatherman on jumping into these races. A few weeks ago, Governor Cooper hired his new lobbying team, and you and I weren't sure if we'd actually discussed it on the podcast or just discussed it between us and maybe some other people, and it turns out that we did not congratulate them. Yeah, Alicia Davis is going to be that inside-the-building point person. She's taking L.T. McCrimmon's spot. Alicia Davis is a great lobbyist down at the General Assembly. We've worked with her as a liaison over at uh, Department of Public Safety. She's worked on a lot of juvenile justice issues. Congratulations to Alicia. And then we had a name pop up. We had mentioned him as someone the governor should consider as uh, part of his lobbying team at the General Assembly, and that is former Representative Pryor Gibson. He used to represent Anson County back in the 2000s, going back to the 1990s. One of those uh, Democrats that I would say was seen as a conservative Democrat, he left the General Assembly to work for Governor Beverly Perdue, and he's going to be the legislative director for Governor Cooper. Congratulations to both of them. Those are great hires for the governor, and I'm sure they're looking forward to the 2023 session. This week, we did our session preview, end-of-year wrap-up with Senators Mike Woodard and Danny Britt. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Welcome to the podcast, two friends of the podcast, Senator Danny Britt and Senator Mike Woodard. Thank okay. you, Sky, for having us on here today. Yeah, it's uh, good to really be here with my with you guys and my great friend, Senator Britt. We're going to do a little end-of-the-year wrap-up, talk about some big stories from this year, what you see coming next year. So to start us off, what do you think is the story of 2022? So I would say probably the biggest story of 22 is the, the turn that the Senate made on uh, Medicaid expansion. Well, yeah. movement on Medicaid, top of my list. I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you both said Medicaid. Medicaid and um, as you're both in the Senate, kind of talk a little bit about how those discussions changed. I'll let Britt talk about this one because in my caucus, they didn't change that much. So <laughs> let's hear about his caucus. Well, I, I think that where we were on Medicaid expansion was where – probably half of our caucus always was you know i think we we really wanted to look at what the spin was going to be on the state side if the feds were to ever get out uh, i think there was a big concern that the feds uh, may stop making that investment and i think that we saw over time that the feds were going to continue their portion of medicaid expansion it was not going to change what the state paid i think we also started seeing uh, the number of dollars that we were going to get 
but in addition from the federal government that were not on the table before. We were seeing how much we were spending on Medicaid programs that we wouldn't be spending in the actual saving dollars that we would be getting. Uh, we saw uh, Trump leave office, Biden come in office, the Fed's number never dropped. So I think that a lot of the things that had folks not quite on board with Medicaid expansion did change. I, I think we all were always at a point where we supported the working poor being able to have some form of health care. You know, the individual who uh, is working 40, 50 hours a week and has to choose between shoes on Johnny's feet, food on the table, or paying for insurance, and if there's one of those three things that they can't cover, then they're gonna they're not going to spend that money on insurance. And I think that we were always willing to support that, but we had to do it in a way that was fiscally responsible and knowing that the feds were going to cover what they have been covering and would continue to cover what they're going to be covering is is what changed our position on it. I, I think there were two things that also helped um, all of us move was Medicaid tra transformation. Um, that was something that I think our Republican colleagues had insisted on from when I got here in 2013, and I heard a lot about that. And what does that mean? Well, essentially, we were going to turn over the management of our Medicaid system to uh, the managed care organizations, mm -hmm. the LME MCOs. And essentially, um, the state would pass the money through to the LME MCOs, and then, not to get too nerdy here, but to capitate um, the, the expense on for Medicaid patients. So let the MCOs set that limit um, that they would spend, and the dollars would move. I, I get real nerdy on this stuff, but essentially managed care. That was that was the transformation we went through. Mm -hmm. And our Republican colleagues had kind of insisted on that, and like I said, from the time I got here in 2013. And some of, and I'm, I was one of those, my position kind of evolved. I was like, heck no, in 2013. And by 2017, I said, well, maybe that's the thing to do. And um, I remember having a number of conversations with uh, Dr. Mandy Cohen, former DHHS secretary, uh, the governor, some of his staff saying, I think we got to do this. And that was an important point there. And then when we passed it, I think we saw that the world did not come to an end and we actually kept costs under control. Were you surprised when Senator Berger made the announcement that he is now in favor of Medicaid expansion? I guess when it came, it was like, really? Okay. But then listening to Senator Berger's rationale, yeah. which, you know, between what Danny just said and I think what I added, um, you know, he said, yep, yeah, he, he evolved on this. And, you know, I like elected officials who look at an issue, watch how things change, mm -hmm. and their thinking evolves. Senator Britt, did you have this on your bingo card this time last year, going into 2022, that Senator Berger would, would make this change in his position? I never would uh, have necessarily ruled it out. I won't say it was a surprise. Uh, okay. Senator Berger had had made mention that, that he was open to the idea. He was never really a hard no. Senator Berger is very methodical about everything that he does. He's very thoughtful about everything that he does and is, and is extremely reasonable about considering every issue. And if he's got a reason not for doing it, he'll tell you what that reason is. And, you know, like with this issue, you know, making sure that it's managed properly through the uh, managed care mm -hmm. uh, that we resolved, but then also ensuring that it's funded properly so it's not just going to be on the back of citizens of North Carolina. I mean, those were the issues. He was never necessarily a hard no, I don't think. Yeah. On Medicaid expansion, it's just we've got to get worked through these issues first. You think this is something that gets resolved, Senator Britt, early in the session coming up? But personally, 
I don't think it's going to be decided very early. Will it be talked about very early? Will it run through committees over in the House very early? I could I could see that. Uh, but as, as large of a piece of legislation as the Medicaid expansion bill was that we passed out of our session, large not necessarily in terms of pages, but large in terms of what all else it did. You yeah. know, we had the uh, CON piece. We had the SAVE Act piece. We had the Medicaid expansion piece. You know, there were all these other th- provisions within this mm-hmm. bill that there may not necessarily be the same appetite in the House, may not have been the appetite in the Senate, even though it passed the Senate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be something that will be a point of negotiation moving forward with the House as we work through the budget and other things later on in the session. I mean, the speaker said we'll talk about it, but then, of course, he laid down the two or three things he's not going to compromise on. So, And for all the kumbaya we're saying about how we got here over the last nine years for me on this issue, we still ain't passed it yet. Right. And so there's still work to do, and there's still those two or three issues prominently played out in the media uh, that that we've still got to get through. So um, I think there'll be a lot more discussion, but the fact that – from my side, these immovable objects mm-hmm. um, sort of came closer together mm-hmm. um, in the last year. Was That was a big deal. So another looking back, you mentioned the bingo card earlier. Let's say we're in January 2022. What's something you thought would happen that did not come to fruition? You mean January 2023? No. No. no, no looking at back. the beginning of the year, oh, what's something... Okay, I'll start over. <laughs> you confused me. Uh, Keep your hands inside the vehicle, too. I saw that you were hitting the thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, captured. I'm just like a straitjacket. <laughs> we could have given you guys these chairs. but by, by the way, you guys can't see this, but uh, Senator Woodard and I are on a couch that is made for, It's the courting couch, I think. Uh, it, it's, it's made for uh, two very small people, and we are very close. That's Brian's sleeping very couch. Yeah, it, yeah. It's okay. Oh, very small person. <laughs> yeah. you got to edit this crap out. Okay. Okay, so if you were looking back, let's say we were when in... we were in January 2022. Yeah. Yeah, can I finish the question? <laughs> Ask me a question that's not so confusing. Okay. <laughs> At the beginning of the year, what's something you thought was going to happen politically this year, whether that's in North Carolina or nationally, that did not happen? I thought there was going to be a red wave at the national level. Mm-hmm. I thought that uh, that red wave would trickle down to the um, legislative races. Um, and I thought our Republican friends would have, while they got super majorities in the Senate, one away in the House, I thought it would be even bigger. I, I would agree. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd say the exact same thing. If I had to pick something that I thought would be different, I. I assumed we would win the U.S. Senate. I assumed we would win the U.S. House. I figured we would have a supermajority in both the House and the Senate. With the way things have gone nationally, I found it hard to believe how folks could not vote Republican whenever they came out to vote mm-hmm. in 2022. Um, and now, I mean, look, we've got some good Democrats, Senator Woodard's one of them. But uh, over, overall, <laughs> I'm, I'm very shocked at the national level at how the election turned out. I mean, if you can go to the grocery store and go to the gas station and still vote Democrat after the year that we just had, then I, I just don't understand what's going on in your mind. But if you're worried about the state of your democracy and you want to continue to be able to vote 
um, and you know you don't want this uh, authoritarian uh, government to take over. You know, two hundred plus years of of the greatest, oldest democracy in the world. Then I don't know how you can vote Republican. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so so but, but, but this let me is do politics better. <laughs> but, but but to this point, you know, I, th- there's always a thing, and I love Danny's reaction. I've always had this thought. North Carolina, in some ways, is immune from the craziness that we see in fill-in-the-blank Arizona, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, um, Georgia, you know, uh, Georgia yeah. Ohio. You know, in Central Lake Bud, we didn't run a crazy TV doctor, election-denying, um, you know, uh, authoritarian. You ran a candidate who ran a solid campaign. Didn't call a lot of attention to himself, didn't do a lot of debates, didn't answer a lot of press questions. And that avoided the Dr. Oz, Carrie Lake, Mastriano kind of candidate that hurt the Republicans in other states. And, and I give credit to that to Republican leadership and their consulting teams for finding candidates who, I mean, there's some crazy ones like that senator from Robinson County, but, <laughs> um, but you know, they don't, they don't run the total crazies. So here in North Carolina... You know, we know that the Dobbs decision in June certainly played a role. Republican legislative leaders, and I'm going to say Senator Phil Berger, came out very strong right after the Dobbs decision and said, you know, look, I believe in first trimester autonomy. Uh, We had a Michael Lee op-ed down in New Hanover County where he said, look, I want to have a balanced approach to this. Uh, the two swing districts here in Wake County, abortion was front and center. Do you think, Senator Britt, that while Republicans were on defense, that might have kind of held the wave back a little bit? Were you hearing that from your voters down in your area? Which, by the way, is a registration-wise, that's a that's a Democratic area. I'm sure you hear it from all sides. Yeah, I mean, d- down my way, it is a very high Democrat registration. We have uh, my district's close to 70% registered Democrat, but on the abortion issue, it's a little bit different. On the mm-hmm. abortion issue, it's it's very red. Yeah. Um, I think that Berger showed a whole lot of leadership mm-hmm. and shows why he's our leader by the way he came out and drew a line in the sand and basically said, "Look, this is this is where this is where I'm at." And kind of gave that indication that this is where, you know, I'm not speaking for the caucus, but this is where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, of course, Michael Lee came out. A lot of the, the ads running against him. And Michael Lee is probably one of the more, most moderate members that we have. And, uh, you know, he came out and, and addressed the issue kind of head on, too. I don't think it was anything that uh, backed our, our base away by us not coming out more more openly one way or another. I mean, I do think that's an issue that's extremely personal to everybody. And I think most people in my district are more concerned with their financial situation currently than those particular issues. Senator Woodard, it was almost like the Dobbs decision uh, was a gift to your side of the aisle. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly think it helped in the uh, the two Wake Senate races uh, where we we had great candidates, uh, but to put two young women out there um, against uh, two male Republicans who had taken hardline stands on abortion and present that as a choice at a freedom question, uh, I thought we framed that very well, and it helped there. And I think down in New Hanover County, the fact that we were – remember, we had to find a candidate right in the middle of the cycle. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we had a nominee – who withdrew, and then we had to find a new candidate. And uh, I think we found a good one, uh, and I think Marsha Morgan was able to bring that issue forward and, and kind of put Senator Lee on point saying, where are you on this issue? If you're really a moderate, then you better tell us that. And he did. He responded mm-hmm. with the op-ed. 
but I think we kept pounding on that. And I actually think we made that race closer because of that issue than I would have predicted um, even after the primary. A lot of folks in NC poll world are saying that this policy question about abortion is going to be the issue to watch. We know that something is going to come and there's going to be a lot of debate. How's your caucus thinking about this? Senate Democratic Caucus is very clear. We filed a bill late in session that said we want to codify Roe. Mm -hmm. And all 22 of us at the time signed on to it. And I expect you will see that same or a very similar bill with all 20 of us who are coming back in January on it, Bill. So our position is very clear. I think what's more interesting, and I'm going to toss this ball to the former college football player here in a second. What's the Republican position on this? I actually think it's more interesting what's the House Democratic position on this. Because y'all are both on the Senate side, but the House Democratic Caucus are they bound as one in the way that you're describing the Senate De- Democratic Caucus to be? Uh, well, I can't speak for that. And, and I think, you know, that's a bigger, broader, um, across the political spectrum, uh, Democratic Caucus. Mm-hmm. But, you know, go into, and Senator Britt can speak for his caucus, but will you see one abortion bill or will you see multiple abortion bills? That's what I think we're anticipating is there will be multiple bills. And they will be all over from heartbeat to 15 weeks to 20 weeks. I don't know what, mm-hmm. what, what exceptions are going to be in there. We've heard the two leaders' positions, Senator Berger, Speaker Moore. But what are their caucuses going to do? And then you get to the House Republican caucus. How many different bills could come out of that? Right. Will they reach consensus in either of those two caucuses? I think I know my Senate Republican friends better. They're going to come closer to a consensus bill. Mm-hmm. Um, are we really going to be able to see an abortion bill that both Republican caucuses can agree on. Senator Brett? You know, this is something that, you know, we finished session right about the same time the Dobbs decision came out. So it's not something that we've really discussed as a caucus. Um, But I do know, speaking from other members, you know, there are, uh, all of us have different ideas as to where we should land on this. I think it's going to be closer to what Senator Woodard said, that there may be multiple bills filed with this landing in in various different places. I do think that we have folks who serve in districts who their district is is kind of moderate on this issue. Mm -hmm. We have some folks who serve in districts who their district is, you know, not gonna vote 90%. If they had an opportunity, would vote 90%. No abortion anytime ever. And, And it makes it difficult because you are here to represent your constituent base and do what your constituent base uh, wants you to do. I think that whatever we see on the floor, I think we're going to have to be careful to ensure that everybody is able to be in a position to vote what their constituent base would want them to do because that's what we were sent here to do. Let me know the days y'all caucus that uh, the abortion bill and I'm going to get the sergeant arms bring the popcorn machines back and we'll be outside like those memes eating (laughs) the popcorn. There there are very very different views within our caucus but but again there you know every person represents a different district and and, you know what what uh, New Hanover and Michael Lee's district thinks on the issue is going to be very different than a Ralph Heiss district or a Carl Ford district right. or a Joyce Kravick district right. um, or a Vicki Sawyer district. Right. I and, mean, and so rest assured, whatever comes out, whenever a bill comes, you can rest assured that the political folks are going to be 
watching every one of these votes and everything that one of these senators, particularly, and House members too, uh, what they say and how their votes are cast. Because we know where the American people are on this issue. We know where North Carolinians are on this issue. But it does come down to districts, right? And let's move past the abortion issue, but the supermajorities are set in the Senate, but the House, it's dangling by one vote. Do you think the House has a working supermajority? All I know is based on what I've been told by House members and some of the unsubstantiated rumors that I've heard on on this show. (laughs) And my understanding is they do. Uh, I would imagine that there's enough out there to benefit a Democrat member's district uh, for them to side with the GOP on an issue that they should have the number. Uh, I think the fact that Cooper is not going to be able to run in 2024 uh, helps that a great deal. Um, You know, he's made it clear that uh, when you side with us, there are consequences. Of course, uh, Senator Devier was was the victim of that. And, you know, we as a state and we as a Senate now get Val Applewhite, who uh, I've not met, uh, but based on everything that I've I've seen or heard, she's not going to be the member that Senator Devier was. And when I say that, uh, she does not appear to be anyone that would compromise as Senator Devier has uh, to benefit his district. Senator Devier, being in the minority party, probably brought back more money to Cumberland County than Senator Rand did whenever Senator Rand was number two. And he did that because he was willing to work across the aisle. I think Val Applewhite is going to be a rubber stamp sheep of the governor that is going to come in and essentially do what she's told to do and not what's right for her district. Hmm. Senator Woodard, are you concerned about House Democrats? One, it comes down to attendance, right? And you're talking, a, that's a big body of their 120 members. Democrats get sick. Republicans get sick. Things happen. Are you worried about? Our Democrats are working on maps in the basement. Yeah, we go to, we go to uh, 9-11 remembrances and vote on a budget. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we know there are all kinds of scheduling tricks you can play. You know, to me, whether it's abortion or any number of issues, there's still a lot of bills in the veto garage. Uh, that could come back as new legislation. One of the key questions that we should watch in 2023 is how the Republican majorities govern in super majority status. I was there in 20, uh, well, I was there when we were 15. Right. And in the Senate, 15 Democrats. And with a 35 member super majority, remember we got HB2. And we tried to strip the governor's powers in that special December session. We've already heard rumblings from Speaker Moore that there are some gubernatorial powers that may be starting to strip away now that they're supermajority and close to supermajority. So how will the Republicans govern in this supermajority? That's going to be one of the telling questions. Abortion is one of those questions. I think uh, gun uh, issues, critical race theory, or the lack of critical race theory in schools, uh, is that going to come back uh, a whole range of social issues we've already heard senator newton the new majority leader who will probably be the new continuous finance chair has talked about yet more tax cuts will we see those um, will they be part of the supermajority's agenda in 2023 those are the things for us to keep our eye on So those things you just listed, some of those can be divisive between Republicans and Democrats. Let's talk about a couple of things that that happened this year that the Senate and the House agreed on. What are a couple of the big ticket things 
that were voted through this year and became law that you would consider a win from the General Assembly? One I worked on that I think was a big win, um, and, and a lot of work went into it, didn't get a lot of coverage, we put it in the budget, but was the transfer of sales tax um, into our DOT revenue. Yeah. That's a big issue, mm-hmm. and, and I say that because I'm working actively on it with my Republican friends um, in, in the Senate, and we're obviously working with our colleagues, uh, Democrat and Republican, in the House. That's a big issue for this state. It is. Um, the gas tax is going down. It will soon pretty much zero out, and how are we going to fix that? And we've put a lot of work into that. I know I'll pat myself on the back, me, but working with Senator McKinnis, Senator Sawyer, uh, we've worked with um, House Chairman Brendan Jones on this issue, uh, with DOT, and with broad groups of stakeholders on how we're going to change that. That was a big win, and uh, keep our fingers crossed, and we're going to keep working. I hope we get some more in that area. Senator Brett? I'm going to say some of the work that we did on criminal justice reform, both mm-hmm. in the House and the Senate, and police accountability as a whole. Um, it's kind of hard to answer that question a little bit because, you know, we passed so many good pieces of legislation in the Senate that didn't quite make it across the uh, finish line in the House. But I, I do think that would be one issue that, from a national perspective, we were talked about as having reached a level of compromise that they could not do on the national level on this issue. And it's legislation that they've used as a model through NCSL and many other states as to how to change their uh, their law surrounding police accountability. You've heard us report on it, and we have talked a lot about folks who may be running for statewide office in 2024. It felt like right when the election ended this year, we already heard some rumors. We all know who's running for governor, but are there people who you think could be running or should be running for a statewide office? I think Danny Britt should run for statewide office, don't you? His name's been mentioned a few times. I've heard it, yeah, various places, yeah. Attorney General, you think, Senator? Is that it? He's a lawyer. He, didn't he just make the case about his experience in the as an attorney? <laughs> Jeff Br- Jackson said he'd whoop that ass. <laughs> <laughs> Challenge accepted. Senator, yeah. we get asked about this all the time. Yeah. Now's your opportunity to address it. Okay, so... <laughs> Well, I will say this. Whenever I first started considering a run for attorney general, the biggest obstacle was I was told no by my wife. Okay. Uh, absolutely not. Not going to do it. Kids are too young. My wife is an educator. She doesn't make the salary that, to supplement my income. We don't have mommy and daddy money like uh, some folks who might have ran for that position in the past or might be considering running for that position now that are serving in Congress. Um, but this. Uh, Despite that fact, yeah, uh, it's something I'm still weighing out. It's something I'm going to try to make a decision on very soon. I don't want to sound overconfident, but there's not a soul that's talked about running that I'm concerned that I can't beat. Okay. Uh, yeah, that doesn't sound confident at all. <laughs> cocky, cocky. I don't, I don't mean to sound cocky or overconfident, okay, but okay. there's not a soul that's running that I don't think I can beat. There's nobody that's running that's won in a district quite like mine. There's no one that I think will work as hard to run to win that seat as what I will. It is something that I'm, that I'm still thinking about. It's something I think I'd be good at. I just got to make sure that it's the right time for my family to do it. Ten-year-old and a 12-year-old kid at home uh, running a statewide race would take me away even more than what Raleigh takes me away. Uh, I just have to see if the political timing lines up with the family timing. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And then I'll make my decision. Are there other Republican names that you have heard 
are running for AG? Um, I've heard the rumor that Tom Murray may. I've also heard Tom was interested in labor commissioner, secretary of state, a few other positions that were opened up. Uh, other than other than him, I, I have heard that um, Sam Hayes over at the speaker's office may be interested in running. I, I do think he would be a quality quality candidate. Uh, I've not heard Jim O'Neill uh, recently. I've I've heard that he was not, but. I know his names came up, but I've heard recently that he's not going to run. I know he beat Sam by over 100,000 votes in the primary, I believe, last mm-hmm. time. So mm-hmm. I know I think Sam maybe raised around 27,000 mm-hmm. uh, the last time he ran. So I don't know what he can do as far as fundraising goes. And that is very important in a statewide race. Welcome to Trash Talking with Daddy Britt. <laughs> <laughs> Today's what? episode, Mommy and Daddy Money. <laughs> Well, Senator Woodard, mommy and daddy money. I want to get your reaction, though, because (laughs) Senator-elect Greg Meyer, when he came on the podcast, said the one Republican he feared statewide was Danny Britt. You share that concern from a Democratic perspective? No no question. No question. I mean, one thing about Britt, he works hard. You know, I'll debate how smart he is, but he overcomp he compensates for no. He's he is a smart guy. He knows his subject area. He works it to death. I mean, I, you know, I've never seen him, but you know, I understand from a couple of podcast hosts who campaigned with him that he's a pretty good retail politician. Mm-hmm. There's no question about constituent service. I mean, geez, the footage of Senator Britt in lifeboats when his district flooded i mean god man that's just uh, ready made for commercials and all that stuff so uh, i think i can match brit on uh, on uh, uh, campaigning though i'm a pretty tough campaigner myself but i ain't a lawyer so i'm not i'm not in that field with yeah. him he, he has a, a very plain spoken way about him mm-hmm. um but he knows how to get stuff done at the uh, general assembly so well let's talk about you this year you did contemplate consider think about running for Congress. You eventually opted not to run. It is hard to take that leap, right, from the General Assembly into higher office. It does happen. We see it happen a lot. But it, well, it's it only hard. happened, what, five times this year, right? Yeah. Six right. if you count yeah. Senator Clark. Or seven if you count Senator Clark and Representative Graham, who both made runs as well. Yeah. I mean, it, timing has a lot to do with it. Do you have ideas on the Democratic side of where you th- you see people running in 2024? Are you hearing anything? Not Nobody has come to me and said, I'm running. Um, you know, there's been plenty of speculation on uh, Lieutenant Governor's race. I mean, Representative Brian Turner um, is going to have a couple years on his hands to raise his profile uh, and, and go statewide. Um, Representative um, Smith from Wayne County, mm-hmm. I think he has actually already said he's running. I think he's been pretty clear about that. Um, gosh, uh, Ag commissioners open. Right. Again, I think there's a, a good, strong Republican candidate mm-hmm. uh, we know well uh, who's uh, expressed interest in that. But ben Jackson. And he so, said it on the podcast. It's okay. Did he good? Well, mm-hmm. well, he and we talked about it. And you know, I got to admit, Brent, I work with Brent on agricultural issues. We've, you know, I've been a co-sponsor or sponsor of the farm bill eight of the ten years I've been here. So um, I know Brent's work on that. Yeah. Um, but there, there's a slot for uh, an aspiring Democratic politician to run um, on ag. Um, you know, some of our retiring colleagues from the legislature um, have, have um, said, uh, I don't think they're done. So, yeah, sure. Uh, so talking about those retiring folks or people who have left, 
what is going to be the biggest change from this last legislative session to next legislative session, which starts in January, especially with such high turnover of people? I think on the Senate side, you're going to have several new committee chairs. Uh, we've got a lot of folks that you know coming into their second session that are being given gavels. Uh, but we've got uh, Senator Ballard, who has worked really hard on education uh, since I've been here in 2016. Uh, that that's I'm assuming pretty much going to be Senator Michael Lee, and then whoever else steps in and steps up on the education front. Uh, Chuck Edwards over in uh, over in commerce, you know, someone's going to have to fill that spot. Uh, Senator Kathy Harrington as a big budget chair and as majority leader over in over in the Senate. I think those are some of the largest uh, largest gaps that are going to have to be filled by somebody. And I think, of course, Paul Newton moving up will be a, be a great addition there. But those are going to be some pretty major changes on the Senate side. Yeah, I mean, in our caucus. Um, Senator Ben Clark is somebody we relied on a lot. He was, uh, as you know, he's trained as an engineer, as a numbers guy, as a numbers cruncher. And so uh, we could always count on Clark to come with spreadsheets and things like that and crunch numbers for us. Um, Congressman-elect Don Davis was always a leader for us on education and veterans issues. That's a new slot to fill. Education will be filled just fine. Uh, Representative Rachel Hunt moving over is going to come with education in her dna so um i I think she'll she'll step in and be a leader uh for us there you know just the presence of uh of uh outgoing senator toby fitch um is uh Mm -hmm. will be i think a real loss i mean i know he worked advised danny and a lot of the folks um on justice issues because of uh, because of his experience but fitch was just always a great guy to bounce ideas off of yeah um and so i will miss his leadership and wisdom and years of experience quite a bit. The laws in the Senate, 13 members, that's 26% of the body. So if you were a CEO of a big company or even a small company and you had 26% turnover in your staff in one year, which is what we're getting ready to go through, you'd have to start making some plans. And that's in both caucuses. And there is a lot of importance of having somebody like a Senator Fitch who has, has been a judge mm-hmm. who's practiced law has a very 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 strong judicial background working on the uh working on the democrat side on on these pieces of legislation let's talk about the holidays christmas is upon us this podcast drops on december 23rd and folks are getting ready to spend time with family and friends can you talk a little bit senator Britt, about maybe how you and your family spend the holidays do you have some traditions in your family that you're looking forward to so my family never has really had major uh christmas traditions my mom was a shift worker at a plant Uh, she would always work on christmas eve because she would get double time and a half Mm. so we would always open presents on christmas eve because she would be working on christmas day or she'd be getting back from a 12-hour shift so our christmas tradition was we would open presents on christmas eve then we'd go to my grandmother's and uh, open presents for Christmas Day. And, you know, the biggest thing I remember as a child for my Christmas was going into my grandmother's. And, you know, she would have, uh, you know, we'd eat at the dining room table, but the kitchen table would be full of flour where she'd be rolling out uh, pastry and, and, and biscuits. And, you know, you'd walk in there and it would, you know, flour would be everywhere. Uh, that's probably one of the things I remember the most. Uh, but we do, we do not really have a, a major tradition as a family now or then. Uh, as far as what we do for Christmas. Uh, my wife's family's from Iowa, so we rotate uh, Christmases. Every other year we spend Christmas out there. Um, so nothing, 
nothing major other than that and we'll we'll go to church and do mass or do um we go to presbyterian church there in lumberton and we'll attend church on on christmas eve after opening presents at my one grandmother's house and that's really it you know i was a kid we always uh, like senator Britt's family my mother's family would always go down to fountain north carolina just over the Wilson County line in Pitt County, and uh, and spend Christmas Eve there with my grandmother. Of course, the famous story. This has a, become a tradition. One night we were driving home from Fountain, and I saw an airplane up in the air. My younger brother's five years younger than me, and I saw this red light on an airplane, and I said, "Mom, you better hurry home because that's Santa Claus, and he's leaving." <laughs> my brother was I don't know six or seven at the time, and he lost his mind. And boy, if looks could kill, my mother would have cut me in half because uh, my brother thought that Santa Claus was leaving because of that red light was flying overhead. My brother posts that story on his Facebook page every year at Christmas just to get a dig in at, at how, how bad I messed him up. But uh, as, as I think you all know, my wife's a minister, so mm-hmm. Christmas is, is a working day for her. So uh, this year she'll preach Christmas Eve and, and we'll celebrate uh, at church on Christmas Day. Um, and then we'll go down to Wilson, see my family. My stepmom loves the, uh, the traditional uh, Norman Rockwell painting of uh, the family feast. So we'll, we'll get to celebrate. And our nieces and nephews now have kids, so it's kind of fun to, uh, to see them. And so we'll get to see our niece and nephew who we're very close to here in Raleigh. But I have, we have a New Year's Day tradition. Okay. I, when yeah, you I, want, I do want to ask that. What, what is your New Year's tradition? How do you do your New Year's? Yeah, so, um, so for us, New Year's, there's an old Woodard tradition where, um, this comes from the old country, where if the first, of course, black-eyed peas and collards, you got to have those um, on New Year's Day. But there was a tradition in the old country that if the first visitor to your house on New Year's Day was a man, that you were bringing wealth and prosperity and good good health to to that house. So there was an old lady, neighbor lady down I the road. Can't wait to see where this is going. Well, so there was they, an old neighbor. They, they need to come through the front door, I hear, because we well, had that tradition. Yeah, yeah. So there was a neighbor the lady door. on the farm next to uh, to where my father grew up, and every New Year's Eve, she was a little widow lady, so she was very polite. She would call on New Year's Eve and said. To my grandmother, could Mr. Woodard come down and visit me tomorrow morning? She believed that. So every New Year's Day, my granddaddy would get up and he'd walk down the road and be the first visitor at that lady's house. To entice my grandfather to make sure he would do that, she had a glass of bourbon waiting for him. So every New Year's Day for years, (laughs) granddaddy Woodard and this neighbor lady down the street would sit there and have a glass of bourbon on New Year's Day. So when I moved away uh, from home and, and did that, the tradition in our family is I always call my father as soon as I get up on New Year's Day. It's not the same as going through the door, but telephonically, I call my dad whatever time it is on New Year's morning, and I always say, am I your first visitor of the new year? And he always says, yes, son, you are. And so we count that's when we're going to have a good year when I talk to my dad <laughs> at 6 or 6.30 on New Year's Day. Nice so that, that's our tradition. Nice. Senator? Um, of course, collard greens, black-eyed peas, uh, always always have to have those. I'll normally deer hunt on New Year's Eve. You let women in your house on New Year's Day? I let women in my house every day. <laughs> uh, only if my wife's there. Um, but, no, uh, New Year's Eve, I, I'll always we'll do the black-eyed peas, collard greens. I'll go deer hunting with the kids. Um, and then New Year's Eve night. We don't do a whole lot of celebrating for New Year's anymore since we had kids. Everybody picks their favorite dessert, and we each have our own favorite dessert. We stay up. We watch the ball drop. 
Uh, my father actually passed on New Year's Eve uh, whenever I was 19, and we were going to go deer hunting that day. Uh, so every New Year's Eve, I take my kids deer hunting. It's nice. Yeah, it's nice. That's a great one. Well, Senator Danny Brett and Senator Mike Woodard, we wish you a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. We appreciate everything you both do in North Carolina politics. You both know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having us, and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you two guys, and thank you all for what you continue to do with this great podcast, and happy holidays to all of our friends out there in uh, NCPOL land. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Brian. Thank you, Sky. appreciate you having us on here again. And again, happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> Merry Christmas to everyone on the show. Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa, too. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) It was a lot of something. <laughs> While they were kind of going back and forth and bickering here and there, you know, these are two legislators that have a lot of respect for each other. They work well together, certainly different political philosophies. A lot of fun. I could have sat here and talked to them all afternoon. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Tweet of the week. This week's Tweet of the Week comes from Kirk Osteen. He is at Kirk Osteen on Twitter. And the tweet is, let's turn hashtag NC poll into a group text that no one can ever leave. <laughs> and I said to you that, like, isn't that the way we're already living inside this weird bubble? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we were explaining to a client the other day about Twitter They don't use Twitter. They're thinking about using Twitter in the 23 session to engage lawmakers and journalists. And we were explaining the NC poll hashtag. And I don't know. They get on in real time. We're on a video call with them. But uh, I don't know if they were impressed with it or what they thought. But we're like, yeah, use the NC poll. Yeah, I like pulled up my phone to the Zoom. And I'm like, (laughs) see, and you go here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like inviting someone over to your family and your family's a little dysfunctional, a little crazy. Someone might even be a little drunk and you're inviting someone in. You're like, well, it's really not this bad. We always talk about NC poll being like, it's an insular family and it's always a little bit dysfunctional. It's also great. There's more good than bad. You do have folks who get on and just can be toxic. I'm going to say something that's not going to make sense, but this is how I feel about most political people. They're not as political as like normal people. Like normal people just fight and they think that their side's right, their side's wrong. But when you get into the NC poll universe, you can state things because they're fact-based you know, people aren't getting so emotional like they are in the rest of Twitter. NC Poll seems to be more adults. That reminds me of when we had Representative Clemens on the podcast, and she said that when you're outside, it feels very black and white, but when you're inside, you realize it's mostly gray. That is exactly right. 
I would just have to imagine that if NCPOL were a group chat, it would be like just a long email chain of people replying all when maybe they should just reply to one person. That's right. (laughs) Or the people that are just not using iPhones and they don't get half the messages, that would mess everything up. Oh, that's my family group chat. Somebody doesn't have an iPhone in it. Yeah. And then it blocks messages from being ever To be clear, it's muted on my phone. (laughs) I really don't need to see five pictures of my aunts and dogs every day. (laughs) All right, so this is our last podcast of 2022. Yeah. By the way, we are going to not drop a podcast episode on December 30th. We're going to let this episode ride all the way till January 6th when that'll be our first podcast of 2023. So since we're not having a podcast New Year's Eve weekend, that would be a podcast in which we talk about our New Year's resolutions. For new listeners, (laughs) if you didn't listen to last year's episode, Brian has the same resolution every year. (laughs) Yeah, but this year I'm serious. Okay, go ahead. I've got... A couple suits in my closet that I don't think I could get my leg through the waist of. And I am going to get in those suits before crossover. Okay. That is my goal. What's your diet of choice this week? Well, if you have suggestions for me, please send them my way. Yeah, I want to just highlight, I think it was in like maybe June Maybe before that, when you announced on the podcast you were done trying to lose weight, you were just focused on getting taller. Yeah. And let me tell you, he's taller. (laughs) Well, what I did was I went out and bought these cowboy boots that I am wearing right now. What does that add? A quarter of an inch? About an inch. Oh, a full inch. Full inch. So I go from 5'6 to (laughs) 5'7. All right. Well, do you have New Year's resolutions? You know I don't do this. You don't do it. No. You you, you just I like the routines that I have. It wow. irritates me that Well, you irritate me too, buddy. <laughs> it irritates me that you have no resolutions. You just do what you do and and you just walk around and and you know, you look like this and I, I look like Danny DeVito on crack, you know? Like, well, if he were on crack, wouldn't he be skinny? Maybe try crack. <laughs> Maybe that's it. We just found it. The <laughs> light bulb went off. You know what? No. This is the thing. You could never do an illegal drug because you have an addictive personality. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> you would love it, whatever you chose that to do. That is true. All right. Well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> this has been very educational. We will, uh, I'll work on stay my... Stay off re- drugs, people. Yeah, stay off drugs. I signed the D.A.R.E. pledge in fifth grade, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to uh, my resolutions of 2023. I'm looking forward to getting into those suits. I'm looking forward to working with you again this podcast producing it every week it really is a joy to do with you we're excited to have a lot of new folks 
at the legislature. A lot of new voices to hear from and learn about in 2023. So we will be sharing all of those voices with y'all. If you have something you'd like to know more about, um, a procedural something or another that you'd like us to talk about, we're happy to do that. You know how to get up with us. We will talk to you in 2023. But until then, please remember to do politics better.